Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Sajin Photography Podcast. My name is, of course, Jason Teal, and I'm back at this in 2021 after returning from Canada to Korea in the last couple of days. It's been a mind-bending trip back home and one that, well, I hope I don't have to repeat anytime soon, aside from just going home to visit my mom. Now, if you listened to the last episode of uh, Season 1, then you know that my father passed away recently, and the whole trip home was basically to be with my family, take care of things, and above all, say goodbye to my father. With that being done, it was an emotional roller coaster, and one that sort of brought me to a number of realizations, especially with photography. And so, with that... This episode is not really going to be too focused on Korea at the moment, and I promise that future episodes of this season will continue to focus on the beautiful aspects of Korea. But for the moment, I just need to like sort of recap and just get a lot of things off my chest. One of the biggest things I realized about photography is that when you get deep into it, it becomes more than just a hobby. And that was something that I've encountered a lot, that term just a hobby. And a lot of people who are not sort of in the photography area or don't do anything creative, look upon these pursuits, whether it be writing or photography or painting or whatever, as, quote, just a hobby, unquote. And the reason I have a problem with this is because it sort of takes all the flavor out of it. It's like something you do when you want to kill time, you know, where if you talk to a pro gamer and said, oh, you know, your life spent, you know, playing video games is just a hobby, they probably will have some sharp words for you. But even more so, I find with photography, there is this essence of escapism and even therapy. But more importantly, photography records images and moments in time. And when I went home to my family's house, and it was adorned with pictures from the past, I found photos that I had taken all the way back to high school. And I spent some time sending them around to friends and everybody seemed to really appreciate this because those are moments that we just can't get back. The photos I took with my father over the years, as I'd mentioned in the last episode, were really valuable at this moment in time because not only just from my own personal reflection and you know remembering the good times but also in a more practical sense and this is where your role as a photographer becomes something more than just a hobby i was in charge of a number of things well not really in charge of but i took care of a few things back home and the most painful of which was actually writing my father's obituary that came along with using the photos that i had taken of my father over the years for that obituary. During this time, I was also contacted by a number of his friends who wanted to make some memorial pieces and needed photos. Yeah, smartphones are good, but when you are a photographer and you have these really good photos of your dearly beloved, it's a lot better. You have the right format. And the only thing that sort of tripped me up was I didn't really have access to my hard drive so I could really provide a high quality image, but I still had everything there and people were able to use them. What they made was just simply amazing. When you look at what's going on with this world, everybody talks about how we don't have these 
hardened records or these these past images and photo albums. The thing I really noticed was just the iPhone itself or whatever you're using has access, the facial recognition, everything. So when I needed a photo, a lot of it was stored in the cloud and I could access it from my phone and my phone instantly recognized the face of my father so I could pull up these images. And to me, that that sort of is important and something that you shouldn't discredit if you just have a iPhone with you. It's something that you can use as a quite an effective tool. Now, speaking about cameras and tools, one of the things I really fought hard to find back home was my dad's old camera. And this was something that I had used for many years. It was actually the first SLR film camera that I started with way back in university. And it was something that I've taken with me on travels to Europe and around, but had simply got put into a box and forgotten for, I would say, closer to, wow, maybe 10 years or so, at least. And with my father passing, it was one of these things that I really needed to have in my possession here in Korea. And I know it was probably the heavier of the things I brought back, but I just had to have it. So over the weeks that I was back home, I dug through pretty much every aspect of the storage and places just trying to find this. And I kid you not, on my last day in Canada, I finally found the case and brought the whole thing back with me, along with one of my grandfather's old cameras, which was the um, the Brownies 620. And what my dad had was a Pentax Spotmatted F. Uh, it doesn't have the bayonet mounts. It's got the screw-in lenses. And it was something that I always remembered him having when we were growing up. Uh, when we went on vacation, he had this camera. And in some ways, I feel that with my brother being so connected to my dad through shooting sports and hunting, this was my way of connecting with my father because I have his camera and he obviously had a passion for it when he lived in Germany many, many years ago. And now I'm carrying on that tradition and hopefully I can get it repaired as the film advance lever is, is jammed up a little bit. But it's something that I'm just really glad to have because these pieces um, are in such great condition. The camera itself, minus the film advance lever, is beautiful and so are his lenses. And it's something that with the case having his name uh, printed on it, I just am so happy to really have with me. And, you know, there's a lot of meaning. Like when I look at this camera, I remember my father, not as what other people see, but I remembered him just having this camera when I was very young. And that brings back a lot of good memories. Finally, I just want to sort of add in a little bit more about photography and compare the shooting in Canada to, you know, shooting in Korea with regards to sort of landscape photography, because I feel that this is sort of an interesting one and one that I haven't really explored fully in my trips back home because they have been mostly just vacations. I'm not looking at things with a photographer's mindset. And if I did, I'm pretty sure that my wife or my family would probably not be too pleased with me. But when I came home, especially after I got out of quarantine, 
I really needed to sort of get out and just explore things on my own. One of the ways I did that was just taking these morning trips somewhere out in the country, driving around and finding what sort of speaks to me as sort of a prairie sunrise or a prairie shot. And for the most part, the main difference that I noticed between photographing in Korea and photographing in Canada uh, were a lot of places are off limits in Canada. It's private property. And, you know, you may get charged with trespassing. Uh, people may come and stop you. Whereas I find photographing in Korea, it's never really a big issue. I mean, yes, if you, you know, encroach on a military or uh, corporate area, you know, people are going to get quite angry with you. But the average area is not really off limits unless you're actually standing next to somebody's house. So that was the main thing. Like many of the places that I wanted to go were simply off limits. They had big signs saying, you know, no trespassing, you know, violators will be prosecuted, things like that. So that was the first part. The second part was the idea of battling the elements. And this was something that I know in Korea, it gets cold. It can get down to say minus 10 or minus 12 some days. And when I returned recently, it was quite cold, but you don't see the cold as sort of a restrictive element. In Canada, it can be. Uh, one of the mornings I got out, it was, I think, minus 34 degrees Celsius plus the wind chill. And it was mind-numbingly cold. It burned your face when the wind blew. And I'm sure that this will have, a, if a prolonged exposure, a negative effect on your equipment as well. So that was something that I never really thought about. I just, you know, usually grab my gear and go and jump out of the truck and do it. But this time you were just slammed with cold, Arctic, freezing air. Um, so that was really uh, an adjustment that I had to do. The other thing that I noticed in Canada was the lack of pollution. And this has a profound effect on sunrises and sunsets. Almost every day, uh, if it wasn't snowing, there were these amazing, amazing sunrises. Like so much so that when I'm editing my usual style, I had to dial it back because it just became too intense and too oversaturated. And this was something that just blew me away. Like when you're standing in this open field, because uh, that's where Brandon is, it's, it's in the prairie, so it's surrounded by fields. And the sky can only be described as being on fire. We do get this here. It's only rarely do you get the intensity that I saw pretty much every morning. And that was something that I really stood back and wondered how I could exploit this or how I could get the shots that I wanted utilizing the fiery sunsets or fiery sunrises. And the other thing that really struck me as odd, it's December in Manitoba, which means the overall sunrise and sunsets are quite late. And by that, I mean the average time for the sunrise was around 8.30 and the sunset was, I think, around 4, 4.30-ish. So it was really easy to sort of get these shots in. The only other difference I noticed was just 
in Korea, I would say that the landscapes are a little bit more dynamic. And that means that here in Ulsan, I can go to the ocean and get some seaside shots of boats or some waves crashing on the rocks. And then I can turn around and within a matter of minutes, I can get some cityscape shots or drive about a half hour to 45 minutes and get some historical shots of Buddhist temples, you name it. With Brandon and maybe parts of Canada, who knows, you're sort of stuck with the landscape that's there. So with prairie landscapes, yes, I could drive an hour, maybe more, to get up into the parkland to get some forests. But it really is much more of a challenge uh, to get uh, differences in landscapes and whatnot. So you're sort of stuck with sort of the area that you are in. Maybe this is different if you lived in, say, Vancouver or Toronto, where you could leave the city, but you really have to plan your shots out more if you want to get maybe a different variety. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Looking ahead to the new year, of course, we're in 2021, and we're all thanking our lucky stars that we made it through 2020. And, you know, as I said, I didn't come out of this unscathed. It's been a terrible year. I've lost contracts. I've lost photo jobs. I've lost, above all, my father. And it's taken a toll on me. But looking ahead to 2021, uh, I'm going to be pushing through this and I'm going to try and come out ahead of where I came out last year. And with regards to the podcast, I am going to keep the same format, so relatively shorter episodes, because I don't think you really want to be bogged down with me droning on and on about whatever, and maybe I already am. I am going to try and get more guests on with relation to photography in Korea. And next week, I will be talking a lot about my experiences filming two episodes of an NBC TV show that I did just before I left for Canada. And and it's going to be airing, well, it just started last week. So I'll keep you posted on when my episode airs. And with that being said, Happy New Year. Take care. And I wish you all the best this year. See you next week.